it just seemed like this whole semester I've been really in my house a lot. And so, I, I mean, I live near New York, so why not be do something in New York? Wait, where, so, where do you live? Maplewood, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's, it is beautiful. It's totally beautiful. How far of a commute is that? It's like 35 minutes on the train when it works, okay. but when it doesn't, it can be terrible. Everything that's not in the five boroughs just seems like a million miles away to me. Psychologically, it is. Yeah. It, as soon as you cross over into Sea Caucus and that no man's land and you can see like like uh, pelicans and stuff, <laughs> you can't really see pelicans, but um, it's you do feel like you're in some different place. And like I live in a small village. <laughs> yeah, I I was out there once. I think um, Rick Parker lives out there. Yeah, he did. He moved. Oh, I think. Okay, maybe he moved back. We lived in in Brooklyn for years. Yeah, in Williamsburg. Um, and then there was you know like auto fumes. I had my first kid, and there was like auto fumes coming up from into her room, and I was like, I can't. I had a coworker a, a couple of years ago. He's actually in this office, and came in one day and said. That said, I'm moving to LA. I was like, what happened? Yeah. He said, my ceiling collapsed. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the ceiling above me like literally collapsed yeah. on me. And at some point, I think the universe just sort of sends you signs that it's time for you to, yeah. to vacate the city. Well, we were paying $1,800 a month in Williamsburg. And now the place costs $5,000 a month. Can't regret that though. Yeah. Do you think that you would ever move back to the city? I don't know. Actually, another thing that happens when you move out of the city is you realize that it's just this big capitalist facade and anything that you mm. thought was authentic is kind of not. <laughs> but maybe that's okay, too, because it's sort of decadent in its own way. And actually, who cares if it's authentic? I don't know. I like having things to do, yeah. like thing, things around me. But... My favorite thing is walking. Yeah. And I miss that. I I would just walk and walk everywhere, walk over the bridges and just see people. And my mind would always be going. And that's just sort of a part of how I did things. And now I do that, but not as much. Um, like there's a nature preserve. And I try to do that fairly often. And that kind of gives me the same, you know, free thought feeling. As far as feeling like you're I mean, are you working in a sense? Are you like, is that yeah. the time when you're you're brainstorming? Sort of work, yeah, but not actually trying to free my mind. Okay, like trying trying to not mindfulness work. be in yeah. the moment. Yeah, yeah, I try and do that a lot. <laughs> so the operative word here seems to be try. Yeah, yeah, or maybe actually, right? When do you get to that space where you're not trying? That's that's the thing I'm always. Attempting. <laughs> that was very writerly of you. Like you pulled out the mental thesaurus there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a couple times in my cartooning life, I've gotten to that point where I'm drawing and I don't feel like I'm trying. Yeah. And and that's been when things have worked out. So Just a couple of times? Yeah. I don't know. Right now it feels like that. I feel like I – Comics, you got to get so many things running at the same time, yeah. words and pictures. And, and it's very repetitive. Yeah. And I always have to sort of clear my brain and think of myself as a kid again. And you get good at different aspects of it, but then they don't always fit together. And I feel like a couple times in my life they fit together right, but not always. What do you mean be a kid again? <laughs> 
Oh, like when I was a kid, I used to sit on the floor and just draw and draw and draw and just, and, and I'd lose time. Mm. I wouldn't be aware of time and I wouldn't be thinking about what was good, what people wanted. It was just my own internal world. And Mm. that's, that's like the, the place that I try and get to if I can. Is it easier or harder to achieve that when you're making music? Um, I mean, I, I tend to think of music as being sort of a little more, at least it's easier to kind of like jam in a sense, right? Or at least like play I'm just, with people. I'm like, did I, I, did I ever really make music? <laughs> I was in a band, but I don't know if, no. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It wasn't that con- long ago. <laughs> I don't consider myself, I don't really consider myself a musician. Yeah. I'm more of a performer, I guess. Okay. Because I don't think I was. Well, is it easier or, to do that in performance then? Oh, like sort of lose. Yeah. Certainly where I got the first glimmerings of what that was like, <laughs> especially because when I was on stage, I was dressed up in a blonde wig and I was kind of a different person. So I was like channeling a, a, another human being and improvising in that way. And that was, that was really kind of magical. Yeah. I think, I think there were moments there. <laughs> like I don't have any rhythm naturally at all. And I'm kind of an awkward person. Mm-hmm. And so being on stage let allowed that not not I was not that as not me how do you start doing something like that if you just seem so like ill-suited for it yeah uh my friend Patrick my friend Patrick Hambrecht he peer pressure yeah or I just met him and he just seemed like it was a natural like water for him to Mm. to be on stage and it was something I always kind of wanted to do and he was the leader. I wasn't the leader of Flaming Fire. And so I just kind of – he would come up with this idea and then I would help shape his his idea. And it was a um, really fun collaboration. Um, and as we went forward, yeah, I felt myself being able to lose – myself in the in the performance it was really fun we performed with this guy named brian duan he said the thing about flaming fire is keeping your eye off the ball (laughs) and that's sort of what it was there was i guess that's a compliment it's not it's not it is it is or it is is. the flaming fire there's always an aspect of it that was a train wreck yeah things bad things like once patrick bellowed so hard that he fainted and he fell off stage and i was a backup screamer kind of and i was like well should i keep screaming is he is he okay like is the show going on right now and so it's just constantly little moments like that (laughs) do you miss performance uh no no not not really i mean it sounds like something you never took particularly seriously the way you describe it now I enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah. I loved it. Because um, I know I saw you guys a couple of times yeah. like, around town. Yeah. I loved it. It was so fun. But I um, – and I loved those moments where you're just on stage and everything's kind of working and, and, and it's not just you. Like comics, it's all you. <laughs> and If this it's was, good or it's bad, you're the only person who can really take fault for it. Yeah. Or just while you're working, it's all you. Um, and – and it's also staggered, you know, you mm-hmm. work on it and then people get it. And then music, it's all people get it right then. So I don't know. It was a really exciting thing to do something that I wasn't naturally good at, I guess. And and just be there in the moment with all these 
wonderful people. And actually, we just had a member of our band die like a couple days ago. Uh, this guy, Sterling Cruising, he was in one iteration of Flaming Fire and he died of a brain tumor. And um, it was so sad. And yet that's the coolest thing about musicians and recordings and the fact that he did let his music, you know, his music was out there in the world and people have been just posting a lot of footage of him playing. Mm. And so that, I don't know, that really speaks to the power of art for me as just that all of his recordings are out there. kind of. The comics, at least the kind that you make are yeah. even more direct in that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, these are actually a document, not only of where you are when you're making them, but in yeah. a lot of cases, like pieces of your life that you're putting on paper. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with time. I mean, I think time is something I'm thinking about all the time or trying not to think about, I guess, um, <laughs> where, I mean, in comics, you can stop time. You can freeze mm. this moment. You can dwell on it, change it, you know, reorganize it, pick it apart. And I find, especially with like having young children, it's such a momentous change. And it's a real, it's a thing that I've done to try and hold on. I mean, that's half of what I'm trying to do with my work right now, because it's so, so fleeting. These moments with young, young babies that change every day. Did you ever expect that you were going to be the person making comics about her kids? No. And I hate that that's even that idea of mom comics <laughs> is something that's everybody kind of degrade. Like it, it's not. It's, it's like not, mommy blogging. Yeah. It's know. considered, it's not considered high art. And that mm. to me is so sad because it, um, everybody goes through a coming of age in their mm -hmm. life. And I do feel like becoming a parent is a second coming of age and, and so often women are just forced into, you know, being parent parents and half of actually just being with a child is, is just being present, being in the moment yeah. with the child. So, so that's afforded you the ability to do that thing that you're constantly trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like you can't not do it. Like right. you have to be focused on. Well, you could be on your phone. Sure. But that's, it's <laughs> very bad parenting. Exactly. <laughs> Probably, I mean, there are probably times when that happens, I, I suspect. There are like, many times when it yeah. happens. You have this, like, small, helpless being. Yeah, yeah. Who's changing and doing all these – like, yesterday I went to the Staten Island Children's Museum with my kids, and my 22-month-old uh, kid was just putting pegs in holes, and she had to do that for, like, half an hour. And, it, and that was really cool. Like, why was she doing that? <laughs> And I know nobody cares about your tw what your 22-month-old yeah. is doing, like whenever anyone tells. But it's it's just something that as a parent you get to witness and then it's gone. But yeah, there's such a stigma about it. And I wish that that wasn't the case. And that's actually kind of what I'm trying to do in my art is like, I don't know, try and elevate it into this realm of art or something it's that whole like vacation slides thing right like yeah. nobody wants to look at your vacation slides yeah. nobody cares about your children as much as you do right exactly so that that's a hard thing for you to to get around is to try to distill like the interesting or universal part about this without just being like hey look at how like beautiful and brilliant my child is. right right that's terrible like uh, yeah i tune out when anybody yeah <laughs> so yeah i know it's it's um 
how do you make a good story out of it? How do you use your storytelling skills to talk about the stage? Especially when they're like things that like are seemingly mundane. I mean, again, so you're kind of like trapped in this house for a lot of the time, right? Yeah. You know, you've got these two small children. Yeah. So. Well, actually, one is nine. Oh, okay. And oh, one wow. is um, 22 months. That's a, quite the spread. So I've got two very, very different human beings yeah. in my house and my husband. Yeah. Um, and um, their needs are completely different all the time. And unfortunately, it actually makes things kind of difficult because there are things I'd want to do with my nine-year-old, like just draw the table with her mm-hmm. in a way where I don't feel like everything's going to collapse. Yeah. That with my 22-month-old, she's all over the place and it's hard. So after the first kid, how long did it take for you to get back into drawing again? It took me – I was always drawing, but mm. like publishing – well, okay. So I've had this <laughs> graphic novel that I've like never finished. Um, so everybody's like, got one of those, right? Yeah. And so I had a book deal for it and I still do. Um, it's like 15 years late. That sticks around? I was, I've been so lucky. Like my yeah. editor still works in the same place. This place still exists. <laughs> I haven't held a job for a long time. Like, like five is my upper limit. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I know. And, and I just started really working on it with her again. Like, and so that was due, but I just couldn't wrap my head around it because all this motherhood stuff kept sure. happening. All these babies um, kept being born. <laughs> well, just I mean, so it took me like like two years to draw one comic strip after that, which is so pathetic and sad. And I kind of realized from that that I never want to be in that position again, like where I'm so at – like like at loose ends uh, with my work, nothing's really anchoring me. Yeah. And that's actually why I, I was pregnant when I said yes to the Village Voice comic strip with my second child. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. Like I'm not going to worry about whether I can or not. I'm just going to figure out how to do it through having this next baby and it's going to carry me through because if I don't do it, then I'm going to lose the thread of working again. And I just know I will. So, so that's, that was a really, really important part of having my second kid. I kept being drawn. I had other work. I had like this 15 year old graphic novel to do uh, when I gave birth to Ramona, but I just kept being so sidetracked by Mm. her and everything about her. Um, and all these things that kept being laid bare, like my husband like, moved out to New Jersey. We like my husband has a, had a job in the city, and overnight, you know, we became this very traditional family. Whereas before, I was in this rock band and being a Brooklyn hipster lady or something. And now I lived in the suburbs. And and uh, so, what was interesting about that artistically? And then suddenly, there's this huge gender divide. Um, that should have not been around anymore, but is. <laughs> gender divide as far as? Husband's the breadwinner oh, okay. and, you know. Just falling and, into like stereotypical roles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I'm um at home with a co-op preschool with, you know, all these other stay-at-home moms who are renovating their kitchens and stuff. And I don't really care about that stuff. You know, it was a such an abrupt change. And I think... Everybody goes through it when they have kids, too. It's like, who am I now? 
that I'm a parent. Um, all that stuff was so interesting to me and just being able to live it and also to reflect on it and to grab hold and make work about it that people also were responding to mm. was, was exciting. But I guess the first big comic strip I did after having Ramona was carriers about genetic testing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, which was about being pregnant. Yeah. It was, which was yeah. about being pregnant with her. And, um, and she was, both my husband and I tested positive as carriers for cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. So it was about that process of genetic testing where you're waiting for the results and you don't know what's going to happen. And, and again, like what it's like to be in this incredible moment of uncertainty and also the history of this gene and what it was like for people in the past to have, to carry the same genes. Like, I guess if you have this one gene, it helps you not die of other diseases during the plague or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually in Africa recently and I was discussing, somebody mentioned that, um, that, that sickle cell anemia yeah. gives you, I think, uh, malaria. Right. Um, yeah. It's a similar thing. Which is like good, but also yeah. horrible. Exactly. <laughs> Especially yeah. now, I think we're all, yeah. we're all living like kind of past our expiration dates. <laughs> yeah. Know? We're like, very, we're in very different circumstances where we're living to be like, you know, like 90, 100 years old. Yeah. I have all sorts of thoughts about that too. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, so that was, that was one comic I did. Um, but so, you know, a lot of working after having kids was retraining myself to work mm. um, so that it was fun and satisfying and I could do it fast. Whereas before it feels like work, it's almost got to be a reprieve from everything else you're doing. Yeah, right. It, I mean, nobody should ever do comics for anything other than they have to do them for whatever reason. The drive, you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every job turns into a job at some point. Yeah. Every job at some point you you do feel like you're working. There are days you don't want to do it. You have deadlines. Yeah. Maybe your book gets pushed 15 years, <laughs> yeah. hypothetically. Yeah. But I, I am so grateful to be able to, to have gotten the work that I've gotten. I, I can't even believe it, you know? Hmm. I can't even believe anybody's ever even read my work. <laughs> but the, but you still, Do you still feel that way? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I had all these hang-ups about work. I mean, my first job was at this – the stranger in Seattle and yeah. I had like a weekly strip and I was on the same page as like Chris Ware mm. and Tony millionaire and Kaz and mm -hmm. every, and I was like 22, 23. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And each week I'd get the page back and I'd be like, what is this? Yeah. But, you know, like I'd learned so much. So I always thought that I had to be like those guys, like that, that was art. Hmm. And it's taken me years to sort of unlearn that not that what they do i mean that not that there's even a they i think there's been this revolution in printing technology mm. where you can have watercolor and pencil charcoal and markers and it looks good and it used to look murky and bad and you can use like your font <laughs> and you can do all these things that like used to look bad and now they look good or at least i'm happy enough with them out yeah. in the world looking like that way and especially like 
Kaz or, or Chris Ware, these are like big, bold lines, mm-hmm. like big, like geometrical shapes. Yeah. And, and to some degree, you think that that's sort of a, um, a side effect of just printing technologies not being good enough to pick up finer lines? I think maybe those guys were looking at earlier comics yeah. that use that technology yeah. as well, and they were really interested in printing technology too. At least I know that's true with Chris. Yeah, of course. Um, and so that's maybe where their style kind mm-hmm. of evolved from. But And I also loved looking at, you know, um, old pen and ink drawings and Durr and and all these etchings, but I guess I always wanted to have to use value. And I also just loved using pencil, the warmth of pencil. And and it really wasn't until people like Vanessa Davis mm. um, started using watercolor more freely in their comics and just sort of realized I could do that too. I, was very ins- I didn't actually realize how inspired I was by her <laughs> until recently and then I was like yeah she she did that you know so I think it, it very recently a lot of women I think but also some men but have really kind of revolutionized work that isn't so heavy on the on the black ink line yeah when you're teaching I mean, do you feel that you need to sort of go through the this the kind of more traditional steps when it comes to you know training kids to do you're teaching comics, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I teach at the School of Visual Arts. Yeah. And I teach teenage. Well, I have taught teenagers and then I teach – I've taught all age groups. But right now I'm teaching juniors and teenagers sometimes, um, like people that are going to go to SVA. Mm. Um, and that is wonderful because teenagers don't know it's hard and so they're just – they're just there and they and and there's a lot of thrills and chills and spills and people are – uh, you know, go through all sorts of mental anguish, and it's fun <laughs> to kind of be the be help them through that kind of. But um, you, you it, lean into the teen angst. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love me some teen angst. Do you feel like you need to kind of teach whatever yes. whatever the fundamentals <laughs> yeah. are? Yeah, yeah. Well, teenagers would teach the fundamentals. Yeah, but then with like juniors, I don't know. There's I had a junior last year who did this whole comic on his iPad and it was awesome. Mm. And I think as long as somebody's teaching them that, um, and, or has at some point, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I think that anybody needs to learn any fundamentals anymore. Hmm. <laughs> the controversial take, but <laughs> that's always been like sort of the academic approach, right? You've got to like learn the fundamentals before you can start to break them down. Yeah. I've been teaching now for almost like almost 20 years. And the more I teach, the more I feel like I kind of anti-teach or something. Mm. I have a tremendous amount of knowledge. Like I know a lot about a lot of different kinds of comics and how they're done. And if somebody needs that, I'll give it to them. But if they want to teach me something, then that's cool too. And especially with technology, like technology has made it so that Somebody on their iPad can take a lot of photo references and just put them on a layout sheet mm-hmm. and type in what they want to do with their comic and then, um, you know, draw over it. And that could be a good comic. I'm not saying it wouldn't. It could It could be a really good comic. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we could talk about it. We could yeah. edit it together. But I think 
if again, like comics, it's just all about being able to put words and pictures together in an alchemical way that creates something new. So whatever that way is, is, is if it works, it works. That's, that's, that's the way, that's it for me. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the great conundrum of art school just generally, right? Yeah. There are certain principles that are probably good to teach just to like, just the act of like getting through a book, like the act of like being able to. I can't teach that because I haven't actually done that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> they, you know, that's the kind of thing that they, they teach me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Get working to deadlines mm-hmm. is incredibly important. So that's definitely something I um, have them do. Like, not that you're here to like sell art school to people or to sell yeah. SVA to people, but what would the pitch be? Like, what value are students getting out of taking comics courses and going to school for comics? I mean, it's a, certainly yeah. a lot more prevalent than it was 10 or 15 years ago. I don't know. I have huge ethical problems with it, with people spending lots and lots of money mm-hmm. on, on art school. In fact, I got a full tuition merit scholarship to college and I wish there was a way to capture that little like <laughs> head nod you did as you said that. Little... <laughs> but and for that reason, my parents helped me out first couple of years I was in New York, and that is the reason why I'm a cartoonist now. Yeah. Like just having that financial flexibility and not having to do a million I still had to do a lot of jobs. Um but I didn't quite have have to get a jobby job um, mm. right away, and 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 if that's the thing that you know made me a ca- ca- cartoonist, that's sad. Like that's yeah. So many other people could be, if they didn't have you know loads of student debt, they would they could be in the same situation. I don't know why any artists live in New York at this point. Yeah, it seems I know. completely ridiculous to me. My, my students disappear after yeah. after they do their their time at SVA. <laughs> but, okay, so here's the pitch for SVA. Um, <laughs> you had to get, uh, <laughs> like, all that out of your system, and now here's here's why people um, should do it. I think that, um, you know, non-traditional problem solving is probably a good, good couple things. There's a rigor to making comics. You have to be good at so many different things. Yeah. Research, uh, clarity you know, editing, there's just a ton of different things that you have to be uh, pretty proficient at. And, um, and somebody going to SVA, like I went to Washington University in St. Louis, which is much more liberal arts focused. And they taught us the gift of gab, which talking to art directors is you mean bullshitting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But also, also being able to articulate what, you're trying to do to try to explain to somebody what you're trying to do. Um, that is a very valuable tool for artists, yeah. especially ca- cartoonists who tend to be very introverted. Yeah. And so a lot of, so that is, it's a huge skill and, and SVA is in this weird place where it was, it's sort of a, a trade school mm-hmm. and it's sort of almost a liberal, like edging towards a liberal arts school. So Students are kind of caught in the middle, but that's, you know, they, they didn't go to SVA because they wanted to major in English, you know. Um, so helping students foster those skills is really good, good thing to do. Um, but, but I think the cartooning program there is very rigorous. You know, every student there is probably doing at least four pages a week in, the, you know, all their different 
classes. Do you think it's, it's a certain degree like schools like that, part of the value is in weeding people out and people who aren't necessarily like built for that world? Uh, yeah, possibly. And, and that's that's another really, really hard thing that I'm learning about teaching. Um, but you don't have to be the person to tell someone that they're not. I, I kind of. Kind of. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm on the front lines, <laughs> um, but I've had students that I was nice to that really just weren't quote unquote nice to that weren't following through in any way. What are the main red flags there? Is it is it is it just inability to complete a project, or are there things beyond that where you're just like you're just sorry, kid? <laughs> inability to okay. It's it's almost always inability to finish, and somebody could be really really talented. But they're unable to finish. And often when you talk to them, there's some sort of circular thinking mm. going like, I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because of this. It's probably a lot of anxieties involved too. Absolutely. And there should be. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, you can relate to this as well as anybody can. I completely relate to it. I, I That circular thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know so well in my own work. Um, and it's only when you just push through that and hit the deadline that you're not in your head anymore. But then there's certain, certain times there are medical reasons why somebody isn't thriving. I think about this stuff all the time, especially because I have students as teenagers and this is a, another one of these wonderful gifts. Like I have students as teenagers that I end up seeing as juniors in college. So I, and then I see them as professionals out in the world kicking my ass. And, um, and that's the coolest thing in the world. Like as somebody that sees people as teenagers and writes the recommendations to get into college, that that poses all sorts of ethical questions for me that I don't know quite how to an- answer. Like if it's obvious that a student's really, really poor, that they're going to have to work their ass off at seven different jobs, like how do, how do you prepare them for that? You know, and maybe they're not the most talented and maybe they're not even the most driven. You can't weigh that in your own, right? I mean, you you can't, you can't mark someone down for not having the means to succeed. No, but it's a reality though. I've never, but like I had a student a couple years ago who had to, every single weekend, you know, did overnight at a, at a parking lot. Hmm. Um, And the fact that she was really, really sleep deprived made her not as present a student, you know, like, so how how do you, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like you're like, you have to kind of put the fear of God and, and, and like, let people know. I mean, like I had this, uh, uh, my, my, my cousin is, has sort of like gone into the world of journalism or professional writing. And like, Mm -hmm. I gave him the same pep talk that somebody gave me, which is like, absolutely only do this if you if you can't not, if yeah. there's like nothing else you could possibly see yourself doing. Yeah. This is a stupid field to get into. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I guess I, I come about it in two different ways. Cause my thing is I really want to foster, I want to, I get such a great sense of joy out of working and satisfaction, like deep satisfaction, um, from doing something that I feel is working and and I feel like that's the thing that I want students to feel the yeah. most uh, and so if you're freaking them out at the same time I don't know if that's helpful I, 
I don't know. I, I don't have really good answers to this. I but I think about it all the time, <laughs> and it's something that I'm, I'm. My thing right now is trying to be clear with my students about my expectations, mm. and honing what exactly my expectations are. If that's established, then we can go so many other places. Does it feel weird having that sort of conversation about follow through when like this book has just been sort of like floating <laughs> above your head for so long? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely talked about it with my yeah. students. I'm like a cautionary tale. You put yourself as a cautionary tale? Yeah. yeah definitely. I mean, what do, you, what do you point to? Like what, what are the what? reasons why Actually, it's been... Actually, I sent a draft to all my students this semester. I was like, no pressure, but if you want to read it, you could. <laughs> that's sad though. I don't know. Um, <laughs> What, what, did they read it? Did you get feedback? Yeah, I did. It was good. Really positive okay. feedback. Well, so, I mean, they're not going to be like, hey. I know. Teach. That's what I said. I was like, yeah. you don't. You can be as harsh as you want to. I don't care. I've, I've been sitting on this for years and yeah. it's okay. Um, where, where Where is it at at this point? <laughs> it's been pared down from like 600 pages. Oh. Um, it, <laughs> it's, um, it's a memoir? Yeah. It's okay. a memoir of high school. It's a sequel to a book I did a long time ago called Girl Stories. And this is a sequel to that, but it's so, okay. There are very few good graphic novelists, hmm. I think, you know, people that actually can write like a story arc of like 200, 300, 400 pages <laughs> as a graphic novel. Um, that's why comic strips have been the thing that people did or comic books, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I am one of those people that is not very good at thinking about, you know, a large story arc and planning that out in advance. So naturally, 600-page book. <laughs> well, right. So so I would go on these tangents and yeah. write about – and the thing about life is that it's not – it's not a – you yeah. know, these things weren't necessarily good stories. And life is not a linear narrative. No. And also – there are things about my teenage life which are very painful and I don't mm. exactly want to go back to. And so when all this stuff happened with motherhood that was like fresh and also coming of age stuff, but a different coming of age, that really inspired me. So I was like, I'm going to you know, work on, on that instead. So then going back to this graphic novel, <laughs> well, okay, actually going forward a little bit, I very recently did a 32-page comic just about giving birth. And that for me, is like the best thing I've ever done. It's a good story. It's like really visceral and riveting. And it kind of broke open the seal for me to do mm. longer narratives now. But I think I'm like a short story person. Like I could do like 32 pages. And so that is the rule that I sort of gave to myself. Like, like these chapters, quote unquote chapters, are going to be short stories. And... So I talked to my editor about it. She's like, fine. Just <laughs> <laughs> give me the fucking book. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't worry about it. Like, who cares? That's that's great. Good job. Uh, so so that's the way – it's like baby steps. I'm mean, like a baby. So so I was given I, – I was given this deadline and I, I hit it. I hit my first deadline, which is just the first draft yeah. of the first story. But it's good. It's – I got – it's my – bat mitzvah story and it's the story of how i became an atheist during my bat mitzvah oh and um and and it's a good story yeah <laughs> anxiety is a funny thing though right i mean you can like you can literally push two human beings out of your body and then just this idea of like 
doing this thing that you know you're good at and are able to do in short spurts yeah. over an extended period of time has been killing you for 15 years. Yeah. And it literally probably has been killing me or something. You know, I, I that's another thing. I have noticed – I teach continuing ed sometimes and I, I have met so people – So older students? Yeah. Yeah. And like senior citizens. Yeah. I've met people that have been sitting on projects for 60 years and it's literally killing them. Like mm. they and, – and they feel so attached and yet they can't let go and – they need to let go because it's really been weighing down and it's, it has a bigger, it, it becomes bigger in their mind yeah. than, than it even is. But maybe it's not, maybe it is actually that important. So, I mean, you know, given it, it sounds like you've come to the realization having worked on this, that you're not someone who's necessarily equipped to do longer form pieces. I mean, do you feel like, <laughs> like if and when this thing finally does come out, then you're just going to go back to short for? Well, okay. So this is really sad. I just got, okay. I got like an agent, like a new, okay. I had an agent, but I waited so long on my old, on my last book that she retired. <laughs> Say she died of old age, but that's pretty good. (laughs) She was 25 when I started. (laughs) So then I was like, okay, I'll get a new agent. This new agent, I sent her all my crap. She's like, you've got three bucks worth of stuff here, which is all short stuff. You know, it's when, all when you say you're crap, stuff. like you mean just stuff that you haven't published. Yeah, you've got that much stuff lying around. Yeah, I have like three book, books worth of like I, I, all my normal person comics, yeah. the stuff I did for the Village Voice, plus okay. the stuff that I continue to do, like shorter yeah. pieces. So some of some then, of it got published. Yeah, I mean it's all gotten published as a weekly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, you're not just sitting on like stuff, a ton of stuff you haven't released into the no, world. No, no, no. But it's all been sort of in random yeah. places, and then all my motherhood stuff that's been put out in different places but that needs more um and then a bunch of short stories that i did before um so that's three books worth of stuff this is like this is like the avatar movies (laughs) like before the first one comes out james cameron's talking about like doing number five (laughs) well the greatest thing about this agent is that i i sent her all my normal person stuff and i was like here what do i do with it i don't know and she's like i'm gonna order it and organize it for you and that's like exactly what I need in my life you right now. You need a secretary. Well, more – I mean, she's got yeah. ideas too. So she's uh, editing I mean, and – Yeah, I don't I don't even know. She just – it's just organizing it. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and that was just so, so helpful, especially, you know, getting in, trying to juggle all this very limited time with the kids. Um, it, it, this is like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's this person that's trying to organize all this stuff and get it out in the world, and hopefully that that works. <laughs> is is your husband supportive or helpful at all when it comes to your work? My husband is incredibly supportive. So he's the editor of the online comics journal. Um, okay. His name's Tim Hodler, yeah, yeah. and um, and but he also is an incredibly busy yeah. person himself. Like he works basically three jobs. And so that I can have my little artistic life. It's so sad. Because, um, again, you need somebody to kind of like collate your stuff and help you like yeah. organize a little bit. But He his, doesn't do any of that stuff. Do any of that. Okay. He used to, to – I used to have to show or feel like I had to show him everything that I did before it went out into the world because he's a really good editor. But now I don't feel yeah. that way. And that's actually been a really – you know, a piece of, like I, I feel good about 
n- not feeling like I have to do that anymore. When you were sort of drawing the line between music and comics, I think you were saying is that it was it was a good thing that comics is kind of solitary or that it's mm-hmm. it's your own project. But you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said for having collaborators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a certain amount from working over the years. I really like edit editorial input. Mm. It turns out that I really like that. Um, I'm not somebody that if I'm working with the right editor, I really feel uh, incredibly bolstered by their feedback. Um, And, and I've had all different kinds of editors. Like I, when I I worked for Nautilus, um, this mag, this science magazine, and I was doing some comics journalism stuff. And that was a skill that I found that I had late in life. And, um, you're not, you're not that old. <laughs> no, but, but like at 40, I started interviewing people, you know, right. that's like a, that's like a new thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how late in life that is, but yeah. But, but, um, but then, um, you know, I, I started realizing that I could do that, but also that it was like too much work, but I had an editor there that would like edit my stuff like line by line because she wanted it to sound more like journalism. And actually, that's the reason mm. why I kind of stopped doing that because I didn't – like, what's the point of this? Why is this even a comic if it's yeah. going to sound – And you're not really doing writing in the same way when somebody's yeah. like going through and almost rewriting it for you. Yeah. Like, I almost wonder if this was a missed opportunity. I had this amazing experience where I got to visit with this MacArthur Genius Award-winning uh, neuroscientist at um, a university – and um in Pennsylvania. Uh but there's a few of those. Yeah. Big one. Um anyway, she she recorded people learning in real time. They would be in an MRI and she would teach them guitar hero and she would see how they were learning. And she would see that they people learned better when these neural pathways weren't so established in their mind, when they could be more flexible. They learned better. And it really goes to this thing that I actually think about all the time, which is the unthinking thing. Mm. The um if you're if you have this rigid pathway in your mind, um, you're going to uh uh not learn as as fast. Um something a skill like yeah. uh but I, I think it it she said it applied to other skills too. But anyway, I went there, I, you know, took notes, I interviewed these scientists, and then the whole thing maybe seemed a little sterile the way it came out when there's so much that you could apply to life um, in different ways. But it was edited a lot, so. I mean, it sounds like the the problem that you're now backing up against is almost having too many things to potentially work on. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in everything. Yeah. I love it. I'm a very curious person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But... But there are certain things that keep pulling me back to the teenage thing. One is the very real thing that if I don't finish this, then I can't do any of these other things. Uh-huh. Um, also, I guess is, is that true that like because because it's a book deal, like you absolutely need to get this into the world. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, okay. I don't. I haven't really pushed that button too much. Well, but going to go on your permanent record. Yeah, kind. Of, I mean, I do feel like a delinquent. I feel like mm-hmm. a like a, a bad kid, n- not having delivered it. But that's not ever the reason to do sure. something important. So and I have all okay. At a certain point, you have to treat work like work, though, yeah, if it's going to exactly, get done. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And the way that I've treated it actually is my agent and editor are giving me these deadlines, and I'm just doing them. Um, but 
but also there's so much teenage memoir stuff and yeah. it just it had to seem right and actually with the political world now it did actually seem like the right time like i was listening to the kavanaugh hearings and mm. listening to all this stuff about you know date rape and yeah. thinking about my teenage book and there's elements of that in the book and i felt like this would be a good time to put it out in the world but also feeling like it's your duty is also not a great reason to do something because then you feel like it should be – if you feel dutiful, that's not like fun. You know, it's not fun for anyone. <laughs> so I don't know. I But that was a re- – I was like, well, this is the – politically, this is probably the time just to, to get this thing out in yeah. the world. Also, my two kids, I'm learning a lot from them, but they're – I don't quite feel as I don't quite feel the need to put stuff out about them. The flip side of that is it so your oldest is nine. Yeah. So, you know, assuming it takes you a couple of years to work on this and then yeah. takes like, you know, six months or a year to actually come out, like mm-hmm. it's gonna be in the world at the like exact right moment for her. Oh God, but I hope she never reads it. I mean <laughs> she read girl stories, uh, and I think it you know, she's nine and it kind of blew her mind. And, and, um, this is about sex and drugs and I don't know. She will read it though. So, so there you go. <laughs> but I think that's part of, you know, what she has to deal with. Is, is it for, are you envisioning as being sort of for that like YA audience? I think it's for the older YA okay. audience if that audience exists. This, yeah. I mean, I think that actually like Jillian Tamaki really pioneered mm-hmm. whatever that is. It's definitely borderline and it's going to, I think, push a lot of those boundaries in terms of what um, people are ready to read, I guess. In terms in that of like age. subject matter yeah, and yeah. dirty words. and Yeah. But but mostly one the thing that I thought about from the beginning with making this book was the philosophical changes that when you're a teenager, yeah, you go through puberty and everything, but also I think – your philosophical, you know, you kind of, you build basic philosophical bones that you mm-hmm. kind of, I don't, I feel like that's when that, all that stuff, what do you believe? It's when you first then. start calling things into question. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, so, so belief is a huge thing yeah. in, in this book, like, um, and also freedom. And what does freedom mean? For different people. No wonder this has taken you 15 years. To- <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> these about are this- lofty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I mean, yeah, it's a big, uh, big deal. <laughs> but maybe not that big a deal. I can't make it that big a deal. It's short stories. Each one has an idea. Maybe freedom means getting out from under your book deal. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But wait, I didn't have, I didn't have a way to do it before. Now I think I do. Okay. I, I didn't have like a. And and now I think I have some good people behind me to keep me – to push me forward. And I don't know. This is sad, but I guess maybe I feel more of, of a professional now than I ever have before. Maybe with the Village Voice thing, I felt like, I don't know, there have been lots of points when I've just been like, what am I doing? But not ever wanting to stop, just – You felt more of a professional doing the Village Voice thing? Than... Yeah, because I had like a weekly deadline okay. and I was doing my – strips for the village voice every week and people saw them maybe and it just got me into that you just got to do this yeah 
and you still have that momentum. Yeah, I feel like I still have that momentum. Um, and and but it's a little precarious right now, and I have to keep. Like for example, right now with Popula, I'm, it's like my strips are running on this website called Popula uh-huh. every once in a while, and I, my sense is that I could keep pitching to them. Maybe they would run stuff. Maybe they wouldn't. But it's not the same yeah. weekly thing. So it's like how how do I create these little deadlines for myself that I really, you know, but I think also I'm going to die, you know, within the next 50 years, 40, some, 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 and, and it, and so if these things don't come out kind of soon, bad things might happen. There you go. That was Lauren Weinstein. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. She's somebody who I don't think I've actually interviewed before, which is kind of shocking. New York folks, and she's been uh, doing really great work for a very long time. You can check out her stuff at laurenweinstein.com. Thanks so much to her. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the show. If you like the program, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or on Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Send us an email. It's rolcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rolcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all your RIYL-related information. And that's about all we got for this week. So stick around because we are going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. 